What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Today we are talking with singer-songwriter and musician Dorothy Martin of the rock band Dorothy. Dorothy is a band that came out in 2014 with their album Rock Is Dead and immediately got put on Rolling Stone's Best New Bands of the Year list. Then in 2018, the band came out with their album 28 Days in the Valley, which was produced by Linda Perry and included the hit song Flawless. During her career, Dorothy's singing has been compared to icons such as Tina Turner, Amy Winehouse, and Grace Slick. And in what I think is about as high of an endorsement as one can get, in 2018, Dolly Parton invited Dorothy, along with Macy Gray, to collaborate on a new version of Dolly's song Two Doors Down for the movie Dumplin'. So check out the band's new single, What's Coming to Me, a single off the upcoming album Gifts from the Holy Ghost. Also check out the band at Welcome to Rockville 2021 at Daytona Beach, Florida. And you can find all of their music and tour info at DorothyOnFire.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And what Dorothy and I talk about is a very tough topic, her struggle with alcoholism, as well as a recent relapse that she had. Now, Dorothy and I talk about a lot of the emotional and spiritual issues that often accompany addiction and mental illness in general. Dorothy talks about how she feels that alcoholics don't tend to feel comfortable in social situations, like they never really fit in. And this can be a common experience for people who struggle with mental illness. We often feel like there is so much going on for us internally that we are in our own heads and don't feel as connected to ourselves or others in social situations. At times, we can feel so disconnected that we feel that no one would care about us if we were gone. And Dorothy talks about this concept and how she contemplated suicide during a time when she felt so disconnected. Dorothy and I also talked about the guilt and shame that can surround us when we have a relapse. This guilt and shame often stems from the stigma of mental illness in general, where we view addiction as a personal failing rather than a disease. These feelings of failure can actually be worse at times when we've been sober for a while. Because we may feel like we should have moved on from our addiction. But addiction and mental illness tend to be chronic, and we need to be prepared to manage relapse as part of our ongoing recovery. 
Dorothy also talks about how she recently experienced a trauma and how this triggered her relapse. And we talk about how Dorothy has coped with addiction in general, as well as this relapse in particular through spirituality. Dorothy talks about the concepts of forgiveness and grace as keys to her ongoing recovery and sobriety. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Dorothy has to say. All right, Dorothy, welcome to Going There. Hello. Hello. So we were talking beforehand and we were going to talk today about your struggles with alcohol. And why don't we just open it up to what your experience has been? Well, you know, I spent a, a lot of years not thinking I had a problem, not really understanding what alcoholism even was. And it's, it is a disease. It's a medical condition, right? And it's so tricky. And it took me like along my journey, people planted these seeds. Like um, if you think you have a problem, you might, because I remember going to my first AA meeting at the uh, log cabin in West Hollywood. And it scared, the, it scared the crap out of me. I mean, I was in there and I'm like, I'm not like these people. No. And I, I left and I continued drinking. Um, and I was always binge drinking, you know, but once I started to gather the, the information about alcoholism and hearing people's stories, like the, the phenomenon of craving that occurs once you take the first drink, um, that started to set in. And I'm like, okay, I have that. I have that experience. I've, I've literally taken a drink and sat there almost grinding my teeth, jonesing for the next one. And it's like you get incredibly thirsty for more. Um, You know, I had, of course, I never had a DUI. I never got arrested. I just had the craving, feeling sick, all you know, binge drinking, feeling sick, enough to get myself in the rooms and hear stories from other people. And, um, you know, I've put together time here and there, nine months, close to a year, never had a year. Um, and since honesty is a big part of the program and we're talking today, I was like, you know what I picked up recently and I used to wallow in so much guilt and shame over relapsing, but it's part of my story. And I know it's part of a lot of people's stories. Like I never related to the person that shows up to AA and hears the speaker and picks up a big book and then stays sober for 10 years. It just is not part of my story. And, um, but I, I wanted to come on here and practice rigorous honesty because <laughs> that's that's part of it, you know, and that's just how I try to live my life now. Um, and so I, I talked to my friend today. She's a therapist who has 22 years. And she said, have you ever worked the steps, all 12 of them thoroughly? And I'm like, no, I always relapse at the inventory because it's really bad, you know. Um, and so looking at that stuff can be really painful and really difficult, but there is no easy way around it, right? You have to go through it. So what I do is I, well, I guess I could just share what I do when and if in a relapse, I still go and raise my hand as a newcomer. I still call my sponsor and that keep coming back really applies to my life. I think once you stop, keep coming back, you shut the door for the opportunity to heal. So 
Um, I'm one of those. And I actually know a story of a woman who <clears throat> was raising her hand every day as a newcomer for a year. I mean, showing up to meetings drunk and finally she got it. So if anyone is experiencing that, just know that there is hope and that you can get it because she's a walking testimony, right? Yeah. And I think that I, I really appreciate you coming in and talking about that because on the one hand, it is inspiring when people will come on this show or other, you know, in other forums and talk about how they were struggling and they got better. And, and, and that is very inspirational for the people who can do it. But a lot of people's journey in sobriety is not that. And I think that it, it, it means a lot to people that somebody like yourself, who's prominent, you know, who shared her struggles before is actually saying like, and, and I'm still working on it. I think that's a big deal for people to know that, look, unfortunately, relapse is often part of the process of recovery. Yeah. And, um, and the guilt and shame that I used to feel over picking up and falling off the wagon was immense. And it was enough to make someone want to drink just by itself without alcoholism factor. And, it's interesting. Now I have stopped feeling those feelings and I just do what I know. And I rely heavily on the recovery community around me and like my church and God, who is my higher power, who I've seen do miraculous things. So I rely heavily because I know I can't do it alone and I don't have the answer. So calling, you know, the therapist who has 22 years, calling my sponsor who has 30 plus years and going to meetings and showing up driving someone who doesn't have a ride, anything I can do to get out of myself and back into the program and back into the recovery aspect of it to pull myself out is that's all I know how to do. And um, really I'm grateful. Like I felt alone for a long time and like disenfranchised from the people around me because alcoholics tend to feel different. We just never feel comfortable. We never fit in. Um, and I just don't know how, I really don't understand the psychology aspect of the disease. I just know that I've experienced what they say and, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's an illness. Um, you're allergic to alcohol. When you drink it, you have a reaction and your mind is just wired differently. <laughs> yeah, and I think that one of the things that you're talking about is, is something that a lot of people who come on our show will talk about, whether it's depression or anxiety or, or anything. And, and, and also obviously with, with addiction, one of the things that I think makes people feel different when they struggle with addiction is that different people are all participating in the same event, but it's different in terms of how somebody who struggles, maybe they, they have the genetic makeup or they struggle with alcoholism. So there could be five people in a, at a table drinking but it's sort of like you kind of know that there's something different about how drinking is affecting you or how you're drinking than other people are. And you kind of know that in some cases early on. And that's part of the beginning of that, that split a lot of people describe. It's like everybody thinks we're doing this together, but it's like, no, I, I'm doing something different here. Yeah, we don't drink normally at all. Um, and this this woman in recovery in LA said something to me that always stayed with me that I try to pass on is, you know, um, all bets are off. Like what, we don't know what the outcome, we can't safely predict the outcome of what happens when Dorothy picks up a drink and puts it in her body. I mean, it could end up like 
asking strangers at the bar in a blackout if they have any cocaine. Really, like it goes to some really weird, uncomfortable, dark places. Um, and it's we have to clean that mess up. So, yeah, I held on to these little nuggets. Like if you think you might have a problem, you probably do. If you have the phenomenon of craving, which I have experienced and um, but you're a doctor, right? So how would you explain alcoholism to someone who has no idea because the stigma out there is that alcoholics are just fuck ups and bad people like and it's not true it's a disease that affects it has no um it has no prejudice it's across the board all walks of life everybody so no i mean one of the things that you're talking about this concept of shame is is one of the main things that i try to talk to people about as almost a first line it's sort of like we gotta get curious rather than critical about this it's not gonna it's not gonna help to you know as you go through your different phases of recovery it's not gonna help to just you know beat yourself down and like shame yourself you think it is because we all think that if we shame ourselves hard enough that it's going to be, oh, okay, now, you know, but, but how many people really make changes out of shame? It just pushes you deeper and deeper. And, you know, one of the things that I would say related to that is, you know, cause you asked the question, how would I explain people is I'd say the same way that you would explain diabetes, the same way that you would explain cancer, the same way you explain heart disease, you know, it's that, you know, this is something that people get from a variety of reasons. Sometimes people are born with a tendency. Sometimes it's through different behaviors, but whatever it is, when it happens, it's not any different than any other medical condition. And I think the goal of this program and other people who are, who are, you know, kind of looking at mental health stigma is to say, can we just, just treat it like everything else to start? You know, because nobody says, oh, you got you got heart disease. You're, you're a fuck up. You're a damaged person. You know, right. it, it just I mean, I mean, some people do, I guess. But I, I, I think it's less prevalent. You have diabetes. So so what's wrong with you? You know, nobody does that. Right. And I think it's important to identify that the peculiar mental twist they talk about with alcoholism, it, it affects your behavior. So like. You know, if you have diabetes and you're taking medication, you're not necessarily you're not going to black out and go home and cheat on your spouse. It's it, it's just because there's the mental aspect to it, it affects your behavior. And then we do things that we would do and say things that we would never do or say sober. Um, and then that's where the amends and the cleaning up comes, you know, and I even though like I have experienced relapse and and fairly recently, um, I still just being in the program for a few years and learning what I've learned still, like if I hurt somebody or if I do something wrong, I mean, I try to make amends immediately. I don't want to carry that around, you know? And so it's just, it does change and shift your whole approach to life. So on a whole, everything is better on a whole. I am approaching life in a much healthier way. Um, I think it's important to talk about trauma and PTSD. Um, and things that can really trigger wanting to self-medicate because how do you deal with something like rape, abuse, all that stuff, you know? I had an experience earlier this year in March where I was assaulted by an ex-boyfriend and it was very traumatic. And I had to do EMDR, trauma therapy, 
to kind of get it out of my body because it was stuck in there and your body remembers that sort of stuff and that is a trigger for relapse that is you know because sometimes the pain can be unbearable um and i think talking about finding ways to heal that is really important too and i think and I, i'm i'm sorry that happened you know that's and i'm glad you know that you you sought out treatment emdr and just because a lot of people unfortunately don't and so i'm glad that you not only sought out treatment but that it worked um, but I think that that's one of the things that I think is so difficult. And it's it's one of the things that whenever I work with someone, I, I use part of what, what they would call motivational interview techniques, which is the idea of starting with, well, let's not just talk about why this is so bad. What are you, what are the good things that you're trying to get out of drinking? And I think that one thing that people just overlook is that, well, you're, you're going for something. In some cases, the idea of relieving pain is very, very powerful. And, and sometimes, yes, people say like, you know what, I am going to make the choice to drink rather than tolerate this pain. And when people judge that, it's sort of like, well, you don't really know what that person's going through. You don't know what that pain is. I'm not saying that that means you say, oh, it's, it's, it's a good choice to drink, but it, it's that judgment and that shame that comes from within, but then also people from the outside do without ever asking, like, how does this function in your life? What are you trying to do? Because that's when you start to understand a lot better the pathways to drinking rather than just shaming the person to being like, you know, drinking or not drinking. Yeah, I think, I think pain is a big motivator, like wanting the relief. I think that so many people can relate to that and looking for alternative solutions, um, you know, a lot of people are dry and they're just incredibly miserable and, and they're just wallowing in pain and they're not really, you know, they might have, you know, five years clean or 10 years clean, but they're acting like a drunk and they're dry. And I don't ever want to be that person. I want true relief and true recovery. Right. Um, but yes, you never know what someone is going through and what are the healthier ways that work. And I think it's different for everybody. You can't just say this one way works for everybody. I am a, I am starting to really believe in one, do the steps, do the recovery, because this is what people have told me, right? This is what you need to do. You have to do the steps. You have to do the recovery program, the way it's outlined, um, it, it says in the big book, like we found ourselves sometimes justified by nervousness or worry. Like if I get hurt enough, it's a big enough excuse to go pick up a drink. But what does that really solve at the end of the day? You get temporary relief, but then you haven't achieved the, the real true healing that you're searching for. So, um, you know, it's, it is important to identify, like, am I justifying this right now because of what someone else did? For me, what had happened earlier in the year, the biggest lesson was forgiveness. It was incredibly difficult to forgive this person. And this person is incredibly sick. And so <clears throat> that's, I haven't eaten breakfast. <laughs> My stomach's yelling at me. Um, forgiveness was like the, if you, if you have unforgiveness and resentments, that's going to make you drink, right? But having to forgive this person was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my spiritual growth. Um, lots of prayer. And I don't understand why it happened. 
And then I thought, well, this person's really sick. And I understand because I'm dealing with alcoholism. I understand what it's like to be messed up, you know? So what they're dealing with is not alcoholism, but it's definitely something that I don't understand that is probably incredibly tormenting. And um, then they act out and have have these like assaulting their girlfriend, whatever, you know? Um, So forgiveness was a huge lesson for me this year. And I'm actually, honestly, I I never thought I'd say this. I'm grateful for the experience as traumatizing as it was. Um, Because how can you learn to truly forgive others unless you go through, I think God allows those things. I think he allows certain things. There are lessons to be learned, you know, to to grow us spiritually and um, give us deeper compassion and understanding for other people. One of the things I'm kind of curious about with just the concept of forgiveness, because obviously here, here is this horrible act that occurred. And one of the things that I'll, I'll tell people I work with is that forgiveness isn't necessarily about, you know, saying, Oh, this was okay. It's, it's about three things. And you could tell me if this sounds right to you. Cause I I'm always interested in people's process of forgiveness. It's sort of, you know, first by saying I'm going to validate that this happened. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to avoid that this happened. I'm going to understand it and I'm going to validate it and not accept it, meaning it's okay, but accept the fact that it, that it occurred. And then what I'm going to do is figure out a way to protect myself moving forward from this person or these acts or whatever it is. And then I can forgive in the sense that I'm dropping the anger that was protecting me. Because the anger, anger is a protective yeah. function, resentment, you know, from, from, from low level resentment all up until, you know, burning rage is protective yeah. is, and so when you say forgive, that's what I think of, but is, is that your understanding of forgiveness or is it something different? You know, that's really interesting that you put it that way. And I think that asserting those really strong, healthy boundaries is is really important for healing and that's something i've always been bad at is boundaries and so um i think that that's a really interesting way and it does sound like that would work um knowing like not like maybe trying to put yourself in the person's shoes and why they are the way they are we could never fully understand but you know for forgiveness for me i just had to pray about it a lot because i don't know how to do it and i i'm just going to quote the bible that Christ tells us to forgive, you know, 70 times seven, meaning it's a daily practice. That is what, that is what that story is teaching. Like how many times should I forgive my brother who, who hurt me 70 times seven, it's a daily practice because those resentments will come up again. And they have for me. And I had to do it over and over and over and turn it over to God and just pray like how, like help me understand how to forgive such a horrible thing that was done to me. How do I forgive this? And it's, I don't know how to explain it. Um, the more you seek the forgiveness, I guess, and turn it over, the more you're just, you have the grace to carry what happened. So you, you don't think about that. Yes, it happened. You acknowledged it. It was, it was unpleasant, but you don't have that trauma response and that pain and that I need to get revenge or any of those unhealthy knee jerk responses that come up. It's just that you're able to exist and understand that this happened and, um, that that person is in turmoil and pain and it doesn't make it okay that they did what they did, but you're able to kind of carry the grace and forgive it and let it go. And it's, 
just can you um just for people who aren't familiar with with the term grace like I, I think a lot of people like will use it in different capacity but in in this context could could you explain from a religious perspective what the term grace means to you uh that's a really good question um and i try not to so much get into religion um what i know is it's just an ability to hold space um, to see things, I guess, from a higher perspective than your human knee-jerk responses. I mean, we can look up the definition of grace right now. I think that's a really great question. And all I know is when I, when I experience what I, what I think grace is, it's having, it's having the, the ability to be okay and trust the journey. Like, you know, things happen. It's done something good for me, even though it was bad. So let's look up the definition of grace because I think that's a great question. I have a dictionary app on my phone. I should have looked it up years ago because State of Grace was one of my favorite movies. Favor or goodwill, a, manis- a manifestation of favor, especially by a superior and mercy, pardon. So being able, having the ability to mercy, give them mercy and pardon them. Um, the freely given unmerited favor and love of God. That's under theology, the influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate and strengthen them. That right there to me is the ultimate definition of grace. Let's read it again. The influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate or strengthen them. And, and I, I really like that, that concept because I think, you know, and, and again, just for, for anyone However, like is in this case, how this this kind of terrible thing happening, this traumatic event, however someone gets through that, I think is to me is like, look, what whatever people have to do to get through that. I what I really like about the regeneration concept of this this discussion of grace is that it's about your regeneration. So in this case, you're talking about the empathy and understanding of this person who did this horrible thing, which I think on a, on a human level is a wonderful thing. I just also understand that, that for a lot of people, it's, it's so difficult to get to that point. And then they're thinking to themselves, well, if I can't get there, how do I go through any kind of healing process? Like, like the one Dorothy's talking about and that concept of regeneration. And what was the rest of the term? It was regen. Uh, the spirit of God that regenerates, let's see, theology, um, the influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate or strengthen them. I, I think the idea where, you know, if someone, even if somebody can't get to that place where they can be empathic or understanding towards another person who has wronged them, at least to be empathic and understanding towards yourself. I think that so many times people will blame themselves for things that happen that are problematic, including having a mental health issue or having an addiction or having had something traumatic happen. And just the idea of at least starting with being kind to yourself, regenerating yourself, strengthening yourself, however, getting, you know, however someone gets to that point, to me, that is so important. And I think that a lot of times people don't feel. Um, I don't know if the term is entitled, but they, but they don't feel entitled to feel strong again or to regenerate themselves. You know, without going 
too deeply into the religious aspect, I truly believe that everybody's a child of God and that's not what he wants for us. And um, we do, we beat ourselves up and we don't think we're worthy of forgiveness, but we are worthy of for forgiveness and um, we can forgive ourselves and we can forgive others. It's a choice. It's a choice. We have free will. So choosing to forgive brings freedom and restoration and healing um but we have to seek it and i like i said i i just engage in a lot of prayer and turning it over to my higher power i mean and that's what the recovery is really based on right the the work but relying on a higher power which i used to have a really hard time with i really did i had a really hard time with this god concept i didn't even like saying the words but i've seen too many miracle literal miracles I've seen too many interesting things to deny the existence. And so if anyone is struggling and I can just, you know, I've, I can only give you my testimony. I can only tell you what I've been through. I literally witnessed a guy overdose die and come back to life on my tour bus. And I felt the presence. It was real. And I wasn't religious. You know, I, I didn't know what I was, I was having some miraculous encounter. Did it keep me sober forever? No, it didn't, but it changed my life and it made it real for me. So, um, if I, if that can happen, anything can happen. If that miracle can happen, anyone can be healed. I mean, I've seen it. So uh, obviously I continue praying for mine and I do what I can. And I think that just passing along the story and the testimony is what helps others. And we can't do it alone. We have to, we have to share. Yeah. One, one person, cause I, I hear what you're saying. I think that the concept of the higher power and, you know, maybe it was misunderstood. Maybe it's evolved over time. But I think that a lot of people struggle with that when they consider going into AA or one of the one of those recovery programs. I, I think that the way it was explained to me was very interesting is like, is there anything out there that you think is more than just you? You know, like, do you believe that nature exists? Do you believe that, you know, there's there's a group of people out there that is more than, I mean, it really was like getting that, that sort of basic and, and starting with that, you know, that if, if people don't believe necessarily in God or, or come some kind of, you know, uh, other being or spirit, just that there's anything out there that's greater than you that, that you can somehow connect to, I think can be very powerful for people. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I know many people that like don't believe in, in God or, and they really struggle with the higher power concept. And so in the rooms, it's like the group of the people that have recovery around you is more powerful than you. You can rely on them. That's, that's one of the things that I think is just so amazing about these recovery programs, because I, I, I think that a lot of people, when they are, when they're using and again, you know, if we're going to use the religious term, even if you don't believe in the concept of a soul, there's a feeling that somehow, whatever the term soulless is, is how a lot of people feel when they're in the throes of addiction. There's just something that is not animating them in a human way, the way that it was before is, is, is how it, it, it observed. Like there's just something is missing. And one of the things that's so reanimating about it is just to be around people who have been there on different parts of the journey. And there's this almost instant rehumanization, you know, and obviously I don't think that people who are addiction are not, you know, or subhuman dealers, but the, that that's the feeling that a lot of people have. 
is just that I'm not worthy of even being amongst people. And just knowing that there's a group of people out there who get it, who've been through it, who are struggling with it, and that it is specifically human to have these different issues and weaknesses and um, things we're struggling with. It's, it's so powerful right from the get-go. And it, it just, I think that's one of the main things that, that things that saves people. Absolutely. I think that the isolation that we experience as addicts and alcoholics, I mean, the disease wants you to isolate and the higher power and the recovery wants you to unify with a group and there's power in numbers there's power in unity there's power in the group so um we want to isolate but it's the hardest thing to just when you're feeling that way to just pick up the phone and call or get your ass up and go to a meeting because you want to hide um it's a very strange part of the part of addiction the isolation it's it's horrible we're not meant to live that way so um you know just getting around those people i i would go by myself to meetings and sit in the back and not raise my hand, but at least I was there, you know, just being around them. And I slowly but surely got to the point where I'm like, yep, I fucked up, you know, like, yes, you know, I'm here and speaking out about it and reaching out and asking for help. Um, um, not, again, not to go too biblical or religious, but like the word sin, we were dead in our sin. Sin means to miss the mark. That's what sin means. It means to miss the mark, right? And when we're dead in our sin, we're we're literally like just shutting off the 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 source that's supposed to flow through us. We're shutting it off when we're numbing and medicating. We're shutting off that soul connection, and you can see it in people's eyes. And I've seen the dead come back to life, and it's amazing. Um, and I just like think actively seeking that and never giving up is is how I'm doing it every day. You know, and this, you know, something that I'll, I'll just say to anybody out there who's thinking about it, you know, one of the things that, you know, the, 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 one of the ways that we develop shame is we put pressure on ourselves. And one of the things I'll hear time and time again is, well, I, I can't go to a meeting because I, I won't say anything. I won't contribute. And, you know, one of the things I would say is, first of all, when you're in recovery, your obligation is not, is not to anyone else. That's part of what gets people into a difficult place is feeling I got to do this first. I got, I have so many things I have to do. I'm a bad person for not, you know, doing X, Y, or Z and just doing something for yourself. Number one, but number two, simply being in that room, you know, is such a powerful statement, you know, obviously sharing and whatever else, you know, people might do is, is, is also very powerful. But for anyone out there who's thinking to themselves, well, you know, I wouldn't be able to raise my hand. I wouldn't be able to do this. You know, just getting yourself just one meeting, just trying a meeting is, can be so powerful. And then saying, okay, let me just try to go again, you know, and not having it have to be any more than that, not having that pressure. Yeah. And like I said, even if you picked up and used, go to the meeting. I mean, this woman was drunk in meetings, raising her hand for a year. If she can do it, you can do it. And um, another thing is to, to like, what, it, what will I contribute if I go, I'm a newcomer? Well, you don't know that the person with 10 years doesn't need you to be there so that they can be of service to you so that they can stay sober. You don't know if they're right on the brink. So it is, it's a, it's, it's symbiotic and they need you and you need them. We need each other. That's the whole point. So you do, even if, like I said, I had the same feeling. I don't know what I'm going to contribute. I just picked up. What can I talk about, you know, and destigmatizing de the relapse, I guess, and, and the shame, like letting that stuff go and just doing 
what I've been told. But yeah, you never know as a newcomer when you show up in a room, your presence does help others because you're giving them an opportunity to be of service and help you. And it's just, it's a cycle. So it helps them stay sober. And then they show you and pass along what they have to you so that you can then pass that along to someone else. Can we talk about the concept of service? Because I think people, number one, people, even if they're not struggling with addiction or mental health issues, will find service to others to be so powerful. But I I think there's something very, very uniquely powerful about service in the context of addiction, you know, and, and, you know, and maybe other mental health issues like, you know, depression, et cetera. But in this context, we're talking about addiction, like the, what, what is the, the power of service when you are in recovery? Well, I'll just talk about my experience, I guess. Every day I wake up and I just say, hey, God, use me today. And I will inevitably run into at least one person a day that I'm supposed to speak to. And um, seeds get planted or I end up driving someone to a meeting that didn't have a ride. You know, um, it gets you out of yourself because addicts and alcoholics tend to be selfish and self-seeking. Um and where's the fruit from that? You know, where's the growth from that? Like we're supposed to reach out and help others. And you find that by doing that, you open the door and you get filled up. And then it's just, it overflows. And that's love. Laying down your life, like, oh, you know, I want to do things my way today. I want to go chase money or go to the gym or whatever, you know. No, how can I help another person? You're laying down your life. You're sacrificing something. That's an act of love, service and service and love are the same thing in, to me, you know? So I just, every day I try to just say, Hey, I can't plan this out. God, you take the wheel. Just use me. I would love to be helpful to somebody. Even, even if, even if I picked up yesterday or even, you know, even if I fucked up, so still seeking your higher power and being available being available, I think, and living your life from that position, it just, you will inevitably run into people that need your help. You know, it's so interesting that you're saying that because when I think a lot of people are in the throes of depression or anxiety or addiction, and particularly addiction, I think that the idea that they have value goes away. And for some reason, when you're just asking, you know, talking to people, well, no, you have worth people, you know, there are people who care about you. There are people who want to see you, you know, better. And, and if, that's, if that's true, it doesn't sink in. But, but there's something about the idea of helping someone else that somehow not only is like, well, that, that's kind of good for someone. It's good, it's good for someone's soul. But it clicks that, that someone could have a value. For some reason, when someone's thinking about helping someone that might be less fortunate in one way or another – all of a sudden, the idea that they might have worth starts to make a little bit of sense, whereas it, it, it didn't necessarily before. Oh, yeah. Those voices come, especially, especially when you're dealing with addiction, that you know, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. Those are lies. And we have to really be vigilant in our minds. And, and when that lie comes, I, I basically just cancel that. And I say, nope, I'm a child of God. I can help someone today you know, who can I help? And I just turn to my higher power and we're off and running, you know, so something happens. And um, I think that when you live that way and other people see that, then they start to, they start, you know, like, well, 
look, I'm really honest about this. At one point I wanted to kill myself. I was suicidal. I didn't think I had anything, you know, and people look at me, oh, she's in a band. She's signed. She's, she tours. Her life must be great. This was what? Three years ago in Los Angeles, I was, I was literally 51 50 because I told my boyfriend, I want to kill myself. They called the cops on me. Um, and so I share that story because like I've been down there where I didn't think my life was worth anything. I just wanted to go home. I wanted an exit. I wrote a song about it called A Beautiful Life. Um, and the lyrics say there was a time I was willing to die because I stopped believing in myself. And heaven said that it wasn't my time. We found a way for you to help. So that's I'm like, I, I guess that's what my purpose is here. You know, I pray about it every day and I try to walk it out just to help other people in some way because it makes life worth living it makes like i have a purpose you know and i want them to see that they do too it makes me really emotional actually <laughs> hi there this is dr mike friedman from going there with dr mike the crossroads where music and mental health meet after you check out the latest episode of my show be sure to check out some of the other great programs on consequence podcast network including the opus and kyle meredith with Head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. Do, do you mind me asking, because I know this is, a, this is a tough topic, but I, I hear what you're saying in the sense that, you know, three years ago, you know, you've been as an artist in the spotlight for a long time and you know, successful career, fans and and when you're talking about how you were feeling that you wanted to take your own life, one of the things that people will often wonder about is, but how could that happen to you when there's clearly so many things that you have to live for from, from other people's perspective. And, and I'm just kind of curious, like what, what's the disconnect there between either what people are seeing or what was actually happening and that feeling that you had in that moment? Yeah. How could it happen to someone like me? And how could it happen to someone like, just pick a name, anybody who looks larger than life and has it all going on. And I think it's a really simple answer. This is what I feel. I did not have a connection or a relationship to my higher power. I was not tapped in to the source of life. Right. And we have to live differently to find ways to open that connection up. And so I was, I I didn't, I was very lost. I was very depressed. I had just gotten off a tour. So I was exhausted and, um, and I was picking up and drinking and I did not have faith. I had no faith, zero. Uh, I didn't have a connection to, to God. Like that's, that's how low and empty and alone you can feel. And that connection restored me. And I know that it's real. And I know that even when things are silent and I'm not getting all the cool, weird signs or, you know, the divine appointments that happen, those are fun, by the way, um, that even, even when things quiet down a little bit, I know that my higher power is still there and I have a purpose. And I just want to say that everybody, no matter who you are, has a purpose and was designed with a purpose in mind on this planet. You came here to do something and it might look insignificant, but it's not. So, um, I've never felt that way since. And, um, I truly do like feel like I have a purpose and I want to be here to help. So luckily I haven't felt that way since. And I think that I was able to have that experience. I had that experience for a reason to relate to others. Like 
when they're there, you know, they, they need that, they need that lifeline to pull them back up, pull them back in. Now, do you mind me asking, was it at that point that you had not connected fully with a higher power before, or is it that you had that connection and felt like you lost it somehow over time? I had had the, I thought I had the connection and I had some experiences that were shown to me to, to open my eyes and wake me up. And so it was a struggle going back and forth, but now I'm fully in because um, like I fully seek the higher power every day, God, and I want to be of service. So um, yeah, no, people do lose their connection. Because again, we have free will, we can turn away and take a different path. Um, But the fulfillment and the life giving love is not there. I mean, we seek the healing and the relief and the love in all these earthly things that don't have it. They're dead things, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the money, the cars, the people, the, you know, trying to fill this God shaped hole that we hear so much about that only one thing can fill. And, and it's so interesting, just not, I'm interested, I know it's obviously this is a very painful part of your life, so I don't want to make it out. Like it was sort of fascinating. Obviously it's, it was very difficult, but you know, for a lot of people, music is something that whether directly or not, they consider something of a higher power, you know, and they go into you know, you're talking about being on a tour, they go to see the shows of their favorite artists. And that for them is a very real spiritual experience where, you know, they connect into a larger world. There's, there's other people, there's, you know, other people who, you know, seem to share the same interests and and maybe it feels like share the same values or the same importance of this. And, and I'm just curious on some level, I, I would imagine that you, you know, that, and you see that, but somehow that was that not clicking at that point? Like, was it, was it just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having that connection to like how I'm participating in almost facilitating the spiritual experience for other people. You know what? Um, yeah. Because I discovered that later. I, and I, it is a hundred percent a spiritual experience. We come together and some magic thing happens. Music like the chili peppers say is the great communicator, right? And you can't stop the spirits when they need you. I love his lyrics. They're wonderful. Um, I can't put my finger, you know, at that time I was in a really toxic relationship. That's that alone can do so much drastic damage emotionally and spiritually. And so, um, I've had to, and by the way, not dating and recovery, that's a real thing. Like I've gone through that multiple times where I've had some time and then get into a relationship because I'm lonely, self-seeking. I want, I want comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm lonely. So I, I think I'm going to get it from this other person. And then what happens? I go out because something fell apart or it was dysfunctional. So that was happening at the time. And I think it did contribute to me feeling, you know, suicidal at that time, but I had had, yes, I had had taste, a taste here and there of what music and the power of music can do. And I agree a hundred percent. It's a facilitating thing where I I'm just trying to like open a portal to heaven and let people have like this spiritual experience. And they do, and they tell me about it and I'm just like blown away. And I feel it when it's happening, it's pretty magical um, because it's unifying everybody 
and it can be very healing. It's very supernatural. I don't really quite understand how it works. It's just really fun to be a part of and observe it. Um, so I am honored to be a musician. I really am so honored and I'm so like grateful every day. I'm like on my knees, just thank you for this opportunity to just plant seeds and make music because music healed and helped me so much. So I get it. And we love the fans so much like they do for us more than they think, you know, it's a very, it's a very wonderful experience. Um, I'm just so grateful to be part of it. And, and I, I want the music and the experience to be spirit filled for them because that's where the power really is. And, and that's something also just, you know, talking about people who go to meetings and feeling like, well, I'm not going to be able to contribute anything or I'm not going to be important here. And, and that's something I also just with anyone, you know, who loves music, you know, and, and, you know, cause there's a way at times that music is designed for there to be like, you know, rock stars and people in the spotlight and then people who aren't. And there, there can be a feeling I think at times of like, well, am I important in all of this? And, you know, something I would just say to everybody is like every single person who even just starting with like listening to a song and then like, you know, buying a song or an album showing up to a show, getting a band shirt, all the way up to, you know, starting what, what used to, I don't know what they're called anymore, like the fanzines or a website or a podcast <laughs> or whatever, starting your own label, all the way up to picking up instrument or a microphone. You know, I, I just would encourage people in the same way with addiction to just whatever you can do to become part of that community can be spiritually fulfilling for you and for others. You know, just remember like when people go and they want that spiritual experience, the more people at times that are there to share it with, the more opportunity there is to feel that, to feel that energy. And so, you know, I think that sometimes people feel like, oh, you know, I, I, I love this, but I'm not important to it. And it's like, you know, and I think a lot of musicians feel like, just look, every single fan or every single person who participates in any way matters. Like it, the energy reverberates, we can feel it, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and in recovery too, like showing up and hearing the testimony of other people who've been healed, who've recovered, um, builds their faith. I go to a women's prayer group every Thursday morning, and um, I like to say this, my church is very spirit-filled because there has been miraculous healings. And when you hear the stories, that you hear that this actually happened to this person this woman had she was pregnant she was having a very complicated pregnancy and this is why I, I believe in the higher power like i've seen this i see this regularly it's not even surprising anymore but to some people it's impossible but this really did happen i mean her baby had a verified genetic disorder they were supposed to give her a c-section she was going to have a very complicated birth and her baby was going to have some struggles you know some issues as she grew up well, we've been laying hands on her and praying, you know, because we, we just don't understand how this higher power thing works. We just know that it does. You know, we don't understand because, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our, our it's supernatural. It's above the human realm. So there's no way for us to figure it out. And this is a real thing that happened. Prayer, prayer, prayer and praying over her multiple times for weeks and weeks. Well, the baby came a week early. So she had to give a natural birth because it was unexpected and they didn't do the C-section. And the doctors came in and said, we don't know how to explain this, but your baby had a genetic disorder and it's been completely reversed. 
She's completely healthy. She was a few pounds underweight, completely healthy, natural birth. And that right there, like is a story, is a testimony of healing. And that can apply to recovery, that can apply to cancer, that can apply to mental illness. I mean, I've seen it so many times that we have to share these experiences to build and bolster other people's faith. Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, we have to stop, but that is a good place to stop. <laughs> it's a good story. That is a good story. Dorothy, thank you so much for sharing all of these, uh, you know, these these triumphs and, and these difficult experiences, traumatic experiences. It, 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 it means a lot to people who are out there who are alone and who are isolated um, or looking for something to connect into, let them know that they can just try to get through. And so... Uh, thank you so much for for being willing to share your story. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. It's been an honor. And I just want to say to everybody that like, yes, you might be in hell. You might have gone to hell and back, but I'm still alive and I have a purpose and you're still alive and you have a purpose. And so start asking what that purpose is and it will be revealed. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. So there it is. Dorothy Martin of the band Dorothy talking about her struggle with addiction, a recent trauma and relapse and contemplating suicide. There's so much to take away from the conversation with Dorothy. One of the things that I want to point out is Dorothy's description of the concept of forgiveness and spirituality. One of the most important things that we hope to do on the Going There podcast is to provide models for how people can understand and cope with mental illness such as addiction. And our goal is to validate and educate any listeners who struggle with mental illness or have loved ones or friends who struggle. But what's important is that we recognize that our mental health journey is very unique to us, our experiences, our needs, and what works for us. But one of the biggest pitfalls that we can encounter when listening to someone else's stories is if we don't have exactly the same symptoms or similar success with coping that that person does, we may actually start to feel more isolated and hopeless. As an example, Dorothy talks about her powerful spiritual path in which she believes in a higher power and is able to use the concept of forgiveness of others, even for something as horrible as assault. And if in listening to Dorothy's stories, that model works for you based on your experience, your mental health, your trauma, your treatment and recovery, then that's wonderful. But not everyone feels as comfortable with that approach to spirituality and forgiveness, and that is okay. What's most important is to recognize that this is one path to recovery and not the only path in an ongoing mental health journey. Dorothy is bravely sharing her story with the message that we are not alone and we can get better, not a mandate that hers is the only or best path. And we hope that as you listen to Dorothy and these other artists, you will feel validated, emboldened, and hopeful, and perhaps hear possible concrete steps that can be of use to you in your ongoing recovery and wellness. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with addiction, anxiety, or depression, and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.